0: Please be seated. The title of this sermon is Bringing Friends to Christ. So we're going to do two things, two things in this sermon. One is we're going to look at a number of passages in Scripture where friends brought friends to Christ. We're looking at those because thou instruct us. This is one way it can be done. We're looking at those because they'll motivate us. Let's do what they were doing. So first, we're going to look at some passages of friends bringing friends to Jesus Christ. Then we're going to explain, then I'm going to explain to you what this little card is that you found in your chair this morning and what this has to do with uh, your life and with us at Cornerstone. The reason we're doing this, and I'll explain more about it later, but, but it's this. I believe, we believe... Y'all are motivated. You're the most motivated bunch of believers I've ever been around, motivated to serve, motivated to love, motivated to care, and I think you want to reach friends who are far from Christ. But sometimes we lack the how. Like, I just don't know how to make it happen. How do I begin to connect with somebody? What do I do? What do I say? And we're going to get to that later in the service when we talk about this little card. We are hoping to hand you a very user-friendly, easy-to-employ how to help you to reach friends in the name of Christ. All right, the first person we're going to see bringing friends to Christ today is Matthew. Matthew brings his friends to Jesus, Luke chapter 5 again. Let's go to the verse. We already read the verse, so I'll just talk about it. So Jesus went out, and there's a tax collector named Levi. That's Matthew the Matthew who wrote the gospel according to Matthew. That's Matthew, he also had the name Levi, that's him. So what do we know about Levi? What do we know about this Matthew? Well, he's a tax collector, so that tells us his vocation, but it actually tells us a whole lot more than his vocation because what do we know about tax collectors in those days? So Matthew was Jewish and his nation was occupied by Rome, and the Jewish people deeply resented that, and they were forced to pay taxes to Rome, and they deeply resented that. And Matthew decided, I will throw my people under the bus so I can get money, and I'll become the tax collector, taking money from my people to give it to the enemy, Rome. Because of this, people like Matthew, they were hated. You think, Does anybody like a tax collector? Who wants to have the job? Yeah, I want to be a tax collector. Everybody will hate me. Uh, They hated him. They especially hated him because he seemed to throw his people under the bus. He was a sellout just to get money. Incidentally, he was probably not an upstanding moral Sunday school type uh, citizen either, We know that because, well, one is when you have one bad area in life, it usually does not remain isolated. It comes from a root that also feeds other bad areas in your life, and a whole lot of things go bad. So when he was bad, going after money... At the expense of his people, he's probably bad in a lot of other ways. And we know he was because generally tax collectors were. They lived a certain lifestyle. They hung around with a certain crowd. And that crowd is identified a few verses later. We're not looking at them today. But, but the Pharisees complained at Jesus for being with that crowd and, and said, he hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. Now, we know we're all sinners. But what they meant by that was these people are notorious These are bad people. You might imagine, I don't know if this is a fair comparison. It's the one that comes to my little brain. You might imagine you're in Hollywood, and there's somebody with astronomical wealth, and they drive a brand-new Ferrari, and they throw big parties where everybody snorts cocaine through $100 bills. That's the kind of lifestyle, that's the kind of crowd that tax collectors who hung out with sinners, that's the kind of crowd they were. Matthew was that kind of guy. We also know he was rich. If he was any good at all at this, he was rich because here's what they would do. Let's say you're you're a citizen and you owe Rome a thousand bucks. You didn't know how much you owe them. them. And he would come and say, "Uh, you owe Rome two thousand bucks. He'd pocket the extra thousand over and over and over and over again. These people became ginormously rich, probably lived in a palatial home, had an extraordinary lifestyle and beautiful possessions. He could throw a party like no party you've ever been to. So this is the Matthew that's identified in our verse. And Jesus saw him sitting there in his tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Follow me. If you want to go to heaven you must follow Jesus Christ. If you want to have life everlasting, you must follow the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus said to him, here's what you must do, follow me. Interesting, by the way, isn't it? Look, look who Jesus picked. Um, he, he had not been to seminary. He, he was not a scholar. He was not a bookish kind of person. He wasn't a thinker. He wasn't part of the chatting class. He was a doer. He was a successful business person. And Jesus says, I'm thinking, he has, I have a mission for these guys. I got to pick guys who aren't just thinkers who sit around and read books and write things. I got to pick some guys who are doers. I need some successful businessmen. Later on, he's going to get Paul to write the books for it all. But all the first 12 that he picks are just doers, successful businessmen. Very interesting. Successful businessmen, there's a big place for you in the kingdom of God and in the church of Jesus Christ. So Jesus picks Matthew and says, follow me. And look at the next verse, Luke 5:28. and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. I love those three verbs, leave, rose, followed there's a Charles Wesley hymn has a stanza based on that now some people say well there must be some backstory that we're not told because this couldn't have been their first time that they were together Matthew wouldn't have just cold turkey knowing no more about Jesus than he knew in this moment Matthew wouldn't have followed him there must have been some other interactions and maybe there were on the other hand We don't want to discount the power of the Lord of hosts, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, to walk up to a perfect stranger and beam saving light shining into his soul when he says, follow me. Maybe it's both of those. Maybe they'd already had some back history but this is the moment at which Jesus Christ sent the spirit of God into his soul to regenerate him to make him a new creature in Christ Jesus to give him gospel light eyes to see a heart to receive and love and at that moment it seems Matthew Levi became a disciple a follower of Jesus Christ and leaving everything the Ferrari the lifestyle the sins he left it all, and he rose, and he followed him. Makes me think about Matthew a little bit, and this is just surmising, so maybe it's all wrong, so take care of what it's worth. Seems to me like Matthew must have been at a point in life where he was ready for a change. You think? Is that fair enough? I mean, if you just suddenly say, okay, I'm leaving everything, i had enough of that, I'm sick of that. I thought that was going to feed my soul. It's not feeding my soul. It's become a burden in my soul. And I'm all torn up inside, and I don't have any peace in my life, and I don't have any purpose, and I'm sick of my lifestyle, and I'm kind of sick of my friends, and my wife doesn't like me, and I don't blame her, and my dog won't even do what I say. And it's very possible Matthew was at that point in life where he said, Yes, I need the change that Jesus Christ can bring. You know, when I first became a believer, I've told this too many times here, but some of you are new and you haven't heard it. So you all listen, the rest of you zone out for a minute. I was 17. I knew zero about Christianity. I'd never been to a church. I'd never heard anybody pray. I'd never heard a Bible verse in my life that I know of. And a friend looked me in the eyes and said, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Why don't you come to the Bible study where I heard about it? And in that instant, out of nowhere, I knew I wanted it. And I was not a likely candidate. I was not like, oh, there's some obvious low-hanging fruit. Let's go after Heartland. He'll believe. Now, I wasn't that guy. But my friend, who was changed radically, came to me and said, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Why don't you come? And I wanted to, and I did. And I think it was the next Tuesday night at that Bible study, I heard the gospel, and I repented of my sins, and I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And light flooded into my soul. Why am I telling you that while we're talking about Matthew? All around us, all around us, there are Matthews who are ready for life, who are ready for light to flood their soul, who are ready to turn, who are sick and disgusted with their own lifestyle. If you go to royal farms and get gas on a busy day, and there's 15 cars sitting there, and I think there are sometimes 15 cars sitting there. I'm just gonna guess, five of them are Matthews. Five of them are ready for a change. Five of them are disgusted. Five of them are hurting. Five of them are worried. Five of them are going through an awful divorce. Five of them had something terrible happen with one of their kids. They're all churned up inside. Five of them is ready to have, are ready to have God in their life. They're all around us. And we look at them and think, oh, they wouldn't believe. I won't talk to them. Oh, that guy didn't look like he'd be interested. I won't talk to them because he's a Matthew. No, sometimes it's the Matthews who fall hard for the Lord Jesus because they've drunk from all the wells on the planet and decided, you know what? There's nothing to quench my thirst in there. Maybe I'll try God. So what happens next? Luke 5, 29. And Levi, Matthew, made him, Jesus, a great feast. The word great in the Greek, thought you'd be interested to know, is mega. This is gonna be a mega feast. This is gonna be a big party. Don't picture like three people with Chick-fil-A. That's not what this is. This is a super feast in a palatial home by an astronomically wealthy man with all kinds of servants and all kinds of people to help out and people in the kitchen. He made a great feast. The word feast can mean feast or a party or a reception. It's a reception for Jesus. So he made a mega party, a mega reception in his house and there was a large company. That's the word, the Greek word for crowd, aklos. There was a crowd Just this huge number of people, all packed together into this one place. So a big house, lots of luxury, lots of wealth, lots of charm, people wearing their finest stuff. Huge party of tax collectors, Matthew's crowd, his people, and others who are later identified as notorious sinners, reclining at table with them. Wow, Matthew threw a party. Now I have to ask, makes me wonder, and maybe you wonder, Whose idea was the party? And we're not told. So we're just guessing again. Maybe it was Matthew. Maybe Matthew said, oh, Lord, you've saved me, and you, you don't know my friends. They need you. Like, they are lost people. People. I've been lost with, I know, how can we possibly, can I throw a party and you be there and talk to them? Tag team evangelism is a very biblical and very effective way of reaching friends with the gospel. You say, I don't think I could be an evangelist. I don't know how to explain the gospel. I get tongue tied. It's hard for me to talk about these things. Can I get my friends, can I tag up with you and can I get my friends where you are and you work on them? That's a good biblical way to reach people. Throw a party in your home. Invite one of our pastors. Have them shake it up a little bit. Bring somebody to church. Let us work on them. It's community evangelism. Don't think I have to personally lead people to grow. Well, that's good if you can do that. Not all of us are going to be able to, but we can bring them into the community where others have influence on them and, and draw them to the Lord Jesus. So maybe it was Matthew. Maybe it was Matthew's wife. Maybe she said, honey you are such a different man, and I like it. All those friends of ours, whatever you got, they they need it. Why don't we have a party? Maybe it was her. I'm inclined to think it was Jesus, because remember when Jesus picked some of these other men, he said, first things he said to them are, follow me, and what? I'll make you fishers of men. You're out catching fish in the Galilee, I will teach you how to catch men, people. You're going to be people catchers. You're going to be fishermen of people. This was the objective because there's a mission to accomplish. There's people to win. And I think maybe Jesus said to Matthew now, those friends of yours, here's what you don't do and here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. Don't don't totally forsake them, don't totally separate from them, don't participate in their sins anymore, don't snort any more coke with them, or whatever they were doing, don't do that anymore. But Jesus didn't say, now look, we practice sanctification by separation. You must get away from them. Don't be around them anymore. They're bad people. Now, that's the Pharisees' doctrine, the Pharisees practice sanctification by separation. We'll just be with Christians now. We'll only do Christian things in the Christian bubble, in the Christian league, and Christian, the Christian everything, and we won't be around those sinners. Ooh, sinners. No, I think it's probably Jesus who said, you know, all those sinner friends of yours, I got a plan. Invite them to your house, and I'll be there. And we'll shine light into their souls. And let's see if we can't draw some of them to the true and living God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Jesus didn't say, you got to ditch those people. Don't be around them anymore. Jesus did say, let's get the gospel to them. And here's a plan. If it's Jesus. Only thing is, when they came and they came in, they came to Matthew's great party. And it was a party like no other party that had ever been to before because the Lamb of God was there. Imagine that. So there's a good way to reach friends, what Matthew does. It's tag team evangelism. It's corporate evangelism. It's body of Christ evangelism. You know, in Ephesians chapter four, Paul tells us that the savior of the church gives gifts to his church. They are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. There are evangelists in the church. That means they're better at this than most of us. Why not take advantage of their presence and hook our friends up with the evangelists in our midst? Tag team evangelism. So you might say, well, I'm just not good at this. I can't do it. I could never, even if I took all the classes in the world, I won't be, and you might be right, but you can tag team. You can figure out who the evangelists are and say, I'm going to hook them up and get my friends around those people. So throw a party at your house, invite pastor, Stan over. We'll all pray. It'll be a good time. So that's the first example of a friend bringing friends to Christ. Here's a second example. Are you ready for a second one? Anybody still with me? Any more still with me? That's better, thank you. A woman, a woman, a woman brings her town to meet Jesus. John chapter 4. Let me give you some of the backstory on this. This is going to be tag team evangelism. So there's this Samaritan woman, and she's out, outside of the city, Sychar, She's out in the noonday sun. You didn't go out in the noonday sun. That was siesta time. Everybody else is home taking a siesta because it's too hot. But she's got her big water jug, not like a little ball jug. It's like a big clay jug that you'd put a lot of water in. That thing's going to weigh like 50, 60, 80 pounds when it's full of water. And they'd put it on their head and walk in and out of town. Why is she out outside of town? There was water in town. Why is she outside of town with her water bottle in the heat of day? It's believed more conjecture sorry a lot of conjecture today it's believed she was out of town getting water at the wrong time of day because she was not well received by the other women at the well in town their sneers their taunts their jokes sharpened at her expense because of her reputation, which gets revealed soon when she's talking with Jesus. Jesus says to her at a certain point, uh, go call your husband. And she says, oh, I don't have one. Jesus says, oh, now you're telling the truth because you've had five of them, and the one you're with now is not your husband. You're just shacking up. This was a woman with a life. This was a woman with a reputation. She's lived in a town of four or five hundred people. She's had five husbands, She's shacking up with number six. The ladies in this town did not like her. They didn't talk to her. They made jokes at her expense. So she's out at the well. Isn't it interesting? Jesus is going to reach the city of Sychar, and guess who he picks? She will be my missionary. She will be my emissary. And she becomes part of the team, the tag team, that leads the whole city to town well so Jesus is talking with her and uh, after he says that bit about uh, I know what's in your soul I know what's in your life I know things about you that I couldn't know except that there's something special about me uh, I know things and she says sir I perceive that you are a prophet and then she like shifts like okay let's get away from my life let's get away from my men Let, let's shift over here and let's ask theology questions so uh, here's a theology question. Which mountain is the right mountain for worship? Is it up here in Samaria on Mount Gerizim where we have our rival worship and our rival temple? Or is it down in Jerusalem where you Jews are and you say, that's the city from God? And Jesus says, all right, let me just tell you straight, it's Jerusalem, so you're all wrong on that one. But the hour is coming and now is when the Father seeks those who worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, it doesn't really matter where anymore. Jesus, where'er thy people meet, there they behold thy mercy seat. So, he he, he clarifies that, and then she says, it's like she's going to end the conversation. She's signaling to him, I'm done here, when she says, "Um, when the Messiah comes, he'll straighten all this out. Next verse. He said to her, I who speak to you, am he? And apparently at that moment, Jesus flipped the switch on the floodlights that shone the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, right into her troubled, needy soul. And she believed and became a new creature in Christ. And look what she does next. She's had no seminary, she's had no training, She doesn't know any Bible, probably, but verse 28, so the woman left her water jar. Now, she came out to get water. She leaves the jar. Why? She's on a new mission. The first mission was water. The new mission is the people in my town need to meet this man. He's the Messiah. So she she leaves the jug, and she went away into town, and she said to the people, come and see. This is come and see evangelism. It's tag team evangelism. It's bringing friends to Christ. She didn't feel like she could explain all the theology and quote the prophets and whatever else, but she said, just come and see. That's all you need to be able to do. Come and see. You're going through a hard time in life. I understand that. You know what really helped me? Jesus Christ. Come and see. Come to this Bible study with me. Come to church with me. Come to this get together at Panera with me. Come and see. A whole lot of good evangelism is done by come and see. And she said, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. He hadn't, but she knew if he saw what he did see, he saw it all. And furthermore, maybe the things he mentioned about your husbands and all, she felt like that is my life. That's my whole story. That's what I'm known for. That's all there is to know about me. That's all that's significant about me. That's all everybody talks about. It's all things I ever did. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. And then she asks, and in the English, it's a little wrong. In the Greek, you can ask a question in a way that expects a negative answer, or you can ask a question in a way that expects a positive answer. She puts it in the negative answer mode. She really says, this couldn't be the Christ, could it? Now, she believed full well that it was. That's why she flew into town to bring everybody out. But she wasn't bold enough to say, I have found the Messiah. Y'all follow me. So she kind of gives it the soft touch. Uh, th- this couldn't be the Christ, could it? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Now it's amazing. In the meantime, Jesus had sent his disciples into town to get food. And that left Jesus at the well with the woman. The disciples went to town and got food and they brought back food and they hadn't talked to one soul about Jesus. They didn't bring anybody from Sychar out to Jesus. They were just interested in the cheeseburger. They wanted food. So they brought back the food. Jesus said, "Thank for the food, but I have other food that you don't know about. They're like, what, what food? He's always talking in riddles and mysteries. What, what food are you talking about? He says, my food is to do the will of my father who sent me. And now he's gonna teach them about his food. And what's his food? He says, look, if you lift up your eyes, you'll see that even now the fields are white unto harvest. And they believe that when he said that there were the Samaritans coming in their white robes down the hill toward the well. And Jesus is saying, there's food let's reach those people, let's share Christ with those people, let's bring them to God in heaven through the blood of Jesus Christ, that's my food. He's teaching them to be fishers of men. Don't just look at people and see people, look at people and see food. (laughs) Doing the Father's will, leading people to Christ. So she said, come see a man. She's on a new mission. She wanted everybody to know. They didn't like her, but now she cared. They were her people. They're the only people she knew. They were bringing her, she was bringing them out to Jesus. And Origen, the church father, has called her, we don't even know her name, but Origen calls her the apostle to the Samaritans. The apostle to the Samaritans. And we read in verse 39 many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. And later on in the story, when they all come out to Jesus and Jesus goes back into town with them, many more of them believe because now they hear his words. Jesus talked to one woman. She's a brand new believer. She goes and fetches all her people and brings them to Jesus Christ bringing friends to Christ tag team evangelism let me give you one more example of this for this morning it's Nathaniel, and he brings Philip to Jesus John 1 43 the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him what's Jesus saying to everybody follow me follow me And what happened next, John 1, 44 and 45, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip first found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law, like Deuteronomy 18, where Moses said, the Lord will raise up a prophet for you like me, hear him. And they understood that to be the Messiah who was to come. And they're saying, we have found the Messiah, the one whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. And he is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, Nazareth, pardon me for saying it this way. Nazareth was a little hick town. It's a little backwater. It's a place where nobody special ever came from. If you were born and raised there, you didn't want to admit it if you got out of there. It's like my seminary professor and president when I was at at Capitol Bible Seminary. His name was Homer Heater. Homer. Born and raised in the hills of West Virginia. He said, we lived, and he said, this is the truth. We lived so far back in the hills that when they finally built roads into us, we all moved out. Jesus was from a town like that nazareth like some little run town in west virginia and so philip responds and says i'm sorry nathaniel responds and says john 146. nathaniel said to him like what can any good thing come out of nazareth and look what philip said come and see come and see evangelism it's very biblical tag team evangelism bringing friends to another friend who can lead them to Christ. It's very biblical. Come and see. Come and see evangelism. Come and see. So this is about bringing friends to Jesus Christ. I believe you want to, but you might be helped with a how. Here's a how. That little card you found in your chair, it says, Who's your one? This is not something we made up, this is not something we invented, this is something that comes from NAM, the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. And in their attempt to figure out what are ways that people can be reaching friends and drawing them to Christ nowadays, this is one of their best brainstorms, thousands of churches, tens and tens and thousands of believers are involved in the Who's Your One. And today, we're getting ourselves involved with all those brothers and sisters in Christ, seeking to do some come-and-see evangelism, seeking to bring friends to Christ by Who's Your One. If you'll flip it over to the backside, that has a white stripe in it. It says, Who's Your One? Pray, serve, invite. And my one is, and there's a white space. We're asking you, please, if you would, would you write somebody's name in that space? And would you commit for the next month from now to the third Sunday of next month, you're going to keep that in a prominent place, and you're going to pray for that one, for their salvation, and you're going to seek to serve that one. Let's see, I'm not just going to pray for them, but now let me show them my love by serving them somehow. Maybe I'll just call them and get back in touch. That's serving them. Maybe there's something I can do for them. Maybe I can invite them out to coffee, and I'll buy. I'm serving them. Do something that's serving them that shows them I care about you, and you do care, and I'm interested in you. Pray for them, serve them, and then do what we just saw in all these passages, invite them. Maybe the invite is to coffee. Maybe the invite is to your small group. Maybe the invite is to church. Maybe the invite is to some other kind of, maybe it's a Matthew party that you're throwing, and Pastor Stan's showing up, he's going to do the best to shine a lot of light around that place and have a lot of amazing conversations with your friends. Would you write a name in that space? You say, well, I can't even think of a name. I know, it can be hard. The longer you've been a Christian, the more you only know Christians. I get that. Maybe start praying that the Lord would bring you a name. Lord, bring one to my mind. Bring one. And write down the name of that one. And the verse there is significant. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, I want to tell you more about what we're going to do with this Who's Your One thing. But first, I want to just play a little video for you that's on the theme. And in this video, you'll see a guy who's the J.D. Greer. He's the president of the Southern Baptist Convention and the pastor of a church in North Carolina. And they are the people that launched Who's Your One initially. He's going to tell you a little bit about it. Follow this video, please. Numbers. We live by numbers. We track and count and measure everything. And sometimes we think the only numbers that really matter are the big ones. But it's the single digits that make the difference. The Bible says that heaven rejoices with the number one. Yeah, heaven rejoices each time even one person comes to know Jesus. We pastors dream about big numbers, and we should. But a daily focus on one meaningful interaction for Christ, that's the true difference maker. One friend. One family member, one co-worker, one person at a time. We want to see God move in our nation like we have never seen before, but it all starts with one. I've got my one, and now I'm challenging you and your church to join us and to find yours. Because ultimately, the only number that really matters is one. Who's your one? It's good stuff. So here's what we're going to do. Let me give you some more information. Every third Sunday, we're going to have a Who's Your One time in church. Not going to be the whole sermon about it again, et cetera, but we're going to have a little bit of time where every third Sunday, we spend some time on Who's Your One. We have cards in your chairs. And instead of that video, we will play you a video of one of you sharing your testimony. So we'll have a testimony every third Sunday to remind us how somebody invited them to Christ, how somebody shared the gospel with them, how they heard and believed to enthuse us and motivate us to reach our friends in the same way. So every third Sunday, we're going to do this. We've also already met with all of our group leaders, our community group leaders, and two weeks later in their group, it's a Tuesday night group, it's a Thursday morning group, whatever day it is, whatever time of day it is, they're going to have a little who's your one time in their group so that twice every month if you're in a group you're getting a who's your one time in the groups you can actually share and talk about it who wants to share who they wrote down for their one? Oh, i got my nephew man i'm praying for him and here's what happened we had this amazing conversation and you go on about it and the group can pray over that situation and you can share together and build enthusiasm as a church in who's your one ultimately what we're seeking to do is create much more of a bring in culture we want to bring friends to the Lord Jesus. So twice a month, if you're in a group, you'll be hearing about who's your one, the Lord willing, and we hope you can be involved in it. In a month, we'll have a new card on the chair for you. You can write in a new name, or you can keep the same name because you haven't gotten far enough with them yet, up to you. Or you're welcome to have 15 names if you want to. Get 15 cards, write them all down. Who's your 15? Also, let me just mention to you, we do value evangelism training. Not all of you are going to benefit from it, but some of you will really benefit from it and others moderately, perhaps. Uh, We're putting on some evangelism training that is going to be fabulous. The guy who's leading us in it is named Brian. He's full-time staff at Crew, formerly Campus Crusade. He's a very good friend of Jason Wallace. He's become a friend of mine. I really like him. I really love him for this. And starting on Sunday evening, March the 7th, in this room at 5.30 till 6.45, he's going to lead us in six weeks of evangelism training. So um, Here's what will happen. You can come to the room and participate or we'll, uh, we'll put it up live so you can live stream it as well and watch it from at home if you want to, but six weeks running, then we'll wait a little while, then we'll do that again, then we'll wait a little while, then we'll do that again until more of you have cycled through that evangelism training that we're putting on. So there's three of a number of things we're doing in 2021 to help ourselves to reach more people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right enough about that would you pray with me please we're going to pray that the lord would make this a fruitful time for our church father in heaven please use our weak and feeble efforts in ways that are powerful for the saving of souls may these moments we have spent in this room today prove to be eternally significant because many come to you father as we invite friends to come and see. We pray that you would help us to create a much more robust corporate culture of reaching friends with the gospel. Bless, bless our efforts, we pray. For we ask in the name of Jesus, amen.